1 Peter chapter 5, reading from verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you, all who are in Christ. Okay, so we had read a little bit of verse 10. Let me just... Let me just clarify what's going on here. What's happening here is, is uh, Peter is dictating this through Silvanus. Silvanus is the same as Silas. Same name as Silas is Silvanus. And he's dictating it through Silvanus up through, from chapter 1, verse 1, up through chapter 5, verse 11. And then in verse 12, Peter takes the pen and just closes off this letter. So it's, it's Peter's dictation to Silas or to Silvanus. That is the way that this is, this is being conducted here. And, and uh, um, so he says in verse 10, after you had suffered for a little while, so remember we talked about this last time, that all suffering in the scripture is temporal. All suffering in the, in this, in the scripture is temporal. And that, that um, uh, it's, it's something that... that um, it's not going to last forever. And you say, well, some people suffer and they, they die in their suffering. So it's temporal. Suffering is temporal. Because we, in Christ, we go on. We live forever in Him. And he says, uh, uh, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory. God's the one who does the calling. And He's full of grace, which is, is undeserved favor or unmerited favor. And then it says, he himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Suffering will bring us to a point that after suffering, there is, he perfects, confirms, strengthens, and establishes you. There is something about suffering which makes us stronger. This is actually, throughout the scriptures, we see this pattern. We see this pattern that, that through suffering, there can be strengthening through suffering. And this is a way that God has chosen. He has chosen this way to strengthen us. There, he doesn't make any apologies for this. He's chosen this way, and it establishes us. Now, you know, the, the older that I've gotten, the more that I've... I've something that, that, that says that he'll establish you, the, the more I like to hold on to this, because... I often wondered, Lord, will I finish well? Will I finish this walk with you well? Or will I become a cynical old man, complaining all the time about things? Will I really finish well in Christ? Will I, will I continue to the end, or, or until my body gives out, or until I'm physically unable to do it anymore? Until my mind doesn't work anymore, will, will, I, will I continue to the end? And, and let me... Let me tell you about some things as to, to why I say that. In Second Chronicles, there is a man named Asa. 
And an army came against him. A million-man army from Ethiopia came against him. He was the king in Jerusalem. Asa was king in Jerusalem in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. And Asa was was, uh, confronted by this million-man army that was coming against him. Now, in this day and age, if a million-man army came against your, your city, you would be quite concerned. All right, That's a lot of people. In that day and age, it was an enormous amount of people. So a million people come against him, and then Asa offered up a prayer. And Asa prayed this prayer in in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one besides you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. So the Lord routed the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. I mean, that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I mean, the man cries out to the Lord. This little prayer, this little prayer in, in, in Second Chronicles chapter 11, I wrote this prayer out on a piece of yellow paper piece of yellow notebook paper. And I stuck it to the back of my door in my first year of graduate school. And I used to get on my knees every day before I left that room and pray this prayer of Asa. Lord, there is no one beside you to help in the battle between the powerful and those who have no strength. So help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. And this would encourage me every day before I walked out of the door in graduate school. So I I don't know what your graduate school is like, but I had a, I had to work really hard in graduate school. And and, uh, uh, this prayer encouraged me. But if you track Asa's life, you see this guy that was just so excited about the Lord. But then if you just look, look, uh, uh, um, look a little further on in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. So that was in chapter 14. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, another army come against him, comes against him, and he's an older man now. Before he was very young, and now he's older. This is probably 30 years later or something like that because he, 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 uh, he, he, was, uh, he reigned for 41 years. So this is like 30 years later. And when this army comes against him, rather than crying out to the Lord... He takes all the, the, the proceeds out of the temple and he pays it to, to some, some uh, king in Damascus to come and to help him. And so a prophet comes to him and says to him, how could you have done that? That was a foolish thing to do. When you were young, you cried out to the Lord and he delivered you. And this time you didn't cry out to the Lord at all. You just hired a foreign army to try to help you. And so... When this, this prophet comes to Asa, this prophet says to him in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 8, Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubin an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. I mean, that is, that is a beautiful word from the prophet. That's... that's a verse that's fit for memorizing. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Think about that. Think about the God of the universe 
the God of the universe saying, I'm going to go and help that person. And that person could be you. If your heart is his, he will help you. That's the promise that's there in the word of God. So this prophet says this to Asa. And, and uh, um, so that, that promise is in, in 2 Chronicles 16.9. Then in 2 Chronicles 16.10, it says, Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. Now the acts of Asa from the first to the last, behold, they are written in the books of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa became diseased in his feet, and his disease was severe. Yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. So Asa slept with his fathers, having died in the 41st year of his reign. That's what concerns me. Lord, am I going to be like Asa, where I started out well, and then I became a cynical old man, and I stopped relying on you. That's the thought that goes through my mind. Lord, will I finish well? So when I read a verse in 1 Peter, that he says that, that when you go through these things, he will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will establish you. It gives me hope. It gives me encouragement. Because there are people who start out well and don't finish the course. Like Asa, he started out very well. But then as you read on, we, it says, and to him in verse 11 of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 11, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Then he says, through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for so I regard him. I have written to you briefly. So Silvanus was, was doing the, the dictation work. Uh, Peter was dictating and Silvanus was writing. And now Peter has picked up the pen and he said, Silvanus. Silvanus is the same name as Silas. Who is this Silas? Well, we first meet Silas in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, uh, this, is, this is an occasion in Acts chapter 15 where, where there was a council in Jerusalem, and it was a big, major council. They were going to decide whether Gentiles, which is what most of you are, non-Jews, have to first become Jewish before they can become believers in Christ. And you're like, come on. Was that ever an issue? It was a huge issue because it was all Jews. All the people that knew Jesus were Jewish. And it wasn't until Acts chapter 9 that, that Gentiles, non-Jews, started receiving Jesus. And so they didn't know what to do with them. They were thinking, well, do you first have to become Jewish before you can start seeking Jesus? So there was this council and they decided, no, you don't have to first become Jewish. And so they had to go and send a letter to all these Gentile churches to say, you're good. You don't have to first become Jewish. Go ahead and seek Jesus. To us, we look at that like it's kind of strange. There are many things that we do that if they looked at us, they would look at us really strangely. Like, what's this problem you're dealing with? But this, so what they did is they wrote a letter to these churches. So they couldn't send out, you know, a text message. They, they had to physically write a letter. And they sent this letter by Paul and Barnabas, with some other faithful men. And two men that they sent with them, we will pick this up in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders, with the whole church, to, to choose men from among them to send to Antioch, with Paul and Barnabas. Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren. And they sent, and they sent them this letter. So Silas was a leading man among the brethren. 
That's who he was. He was a trusted man. I remember one day, there was a, uh, uh, the, the church wanted to do some, some big thing. And, and the pastor, it was the pastor before Roger was here as pastor, the pastor needed some, some buy-in on this. The pastor needed some buy-in. And so what he, he uh, uh, told them to do, he said, get this individual, get a certain individual to explain this to the church body. Now, that certain individual was a very trusted man. The pastor told the staff, he says, if this individual, if this man delivers that message that, that, uh, uh, that we're going to be, be going in this direction, the church will accept it because they really trusted him. And you see this same sort of thing. So the apostles are going to bring this message, but they're going to send it with two other people as well that these people really trusted. Silas was among those two to bring this message. So you see that, that uh, uh, Silas w- was among them. And then you pick it up a- again in, in verse 32 of Acts chapter 15. Judas and Silas also, being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. So Silas, he was not an apostle. Remember, to have been an apostle, you had to have seen, physically have seen the risen Savior. I know many people today will say, oh, apostle so-and-so. Well, that's great. But in the scriptures, in the scriptures, you had to have seen the risen Savior. That's why, technically, according to the scriptures, there are no apostles today. And and, uh, um, they they, they had to have seen during that 40-day period or shortly after that, if Jesus appeared, he appeared to Paul that they had to have seen the risen Savior. And, and uh, that, was, that was the substantiation. But Silas was not among the apostles, but he was a respected prophet. And they gave them a message. We see Silas again in, in, in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, it, it says that, that um, Paul and Silas uh, were together preaching, and they got thrown in prison. And it says in verse, Acts chapter 16, verse 19, But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized, Paul, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard, the, the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, this is in verse 23 of Acts chapter 16, I'm sorry, verse 23, now verse 24. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners heard, listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do, no har- do not harm yourself for we are all here. And he called for the lights, and he rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So Silas is one of these two guys, gets flogged, beaten, put into the inner secure part of a prison, and at midnight he's singing hymns with Paul. I mean, this is an amazing guy. I mean, most people would be like, just wanted to serve the Lord, and look, look what ended up happening. I mean, how can that be? This is terrible. Why would God allow this to happen? Well, maybe he allowed it to happen to you just like he allowed it to happen to Paul and Silas. 
I mean, he's sent people before us and he's given us this demonstration and this example. This is part of the sufferings that go on in life. So don't think it unusual when you go through things, when you go through suffering. These things happen. And he says, uh, he says Paul and Silas were there praying, but this is the guy that, that's, that's writing this letter at Peter's dictation. He can humbly sit there and write a letter at Peter's dictation. This is not below him. Even to this amazing level that he is. And we see, we see him again at several places. We see him in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. We see him in 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 and 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 because he became Paul's traveling companion. Now, that takes us to our next person who's listed in this chapter. Our next, so Paul, Silas started out well and he ended up well. Asa started out well, he ended up, he ended up not so well. Silas started out well, he ended up well. That's the life to have. There's another guy who's, who's listed in here, and that's Mark. So if you look in 1 Peter chapter, chapter 5, verse 13, it says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. This is, this is Mark. Mark is the person who Peter, who Peter led to the Lord. Uh, so he considered him his son. Uh, just like uh, um, um, Paul considered Timothy his son, somebody he had led to the Lord. And so, so uh, uh, this is Mark. His other name is John. There's a man in the Bible, his name is John. His name is also Mark. He wrote, this is the guy who wrote the gospel according to Mark. Mark was not among the 12 apostles, but he wrote one of the Gospels. Where did he get the information? He got most of the information, obviously, from Peter. And uh, uh, he's the one that is, that is compiling this information on Peter's behalf. We see that Peter himself doesn't particularly like to write. He'd rather do, do things by dictation. So, so, so Peter is the one, uh, Mark is the one that is writing this Gospel, probably getting his information from Peter. But who is this person Mark, or John Mark? Uh, we first see him in, in Acts chapter 12. So we can pick him up in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where there were, they were gathered there and were praying. So John Mark's mother was one of the many Marys. Mary was one of the most popular names in, in the New Testament and at that time in Israel. And, and this... This New Testament is so amazing. It is so amazing. The names, the names in the New Testament, you can look at the names. So what, what Peter Williams, Dr. Peter Williams did, and you can read his book called uh, Can the Gospels Be Trusted by Peter J. Williams. Can the Gospels Be Trusted by Peter J. Williams. And he, he maps out the names that are in the New Testament, and then he compares those to the most popular names of the time from extra-biblical writings, and it maps perfectly. Mary was a very common name, and that's why very often when, when and, and so was John. John was a very common name, and that's why very often their names were what's called disambiguated. They put some little descriptor. So the mother of John, who was also called Mark. So this is describing him. So he's a young man. They're in their home. They're having a prayer meeting. That's when we first meet him. It was in Acts chapter 12. Then in Acts chapter 13, in Acts chapter 13, it says that, that uh, uh, Barnabas and Saul are being sent out on the mission field. When they're going out on the mission field, they bring along a helper. 
the helper is Mark. This guy, John Mark, is going to be their helper. And you say, well, why do they need a helper? Well, two guys going out on the mission field, it's good to have a young man with them to carry baggage. When I was young, I used to carry a lot of baggage. We used to have these, these, these church meetings. We used to have these holy convocations. I, I was a baggage carrier. And there was a time in my life I was very good at carrying baggage. I carried a lot of tables. I carried a lot of chairs. And now it's much harder for me because I've hurt my back in multiple places over the years. And so it's much harder for me to carry around these things. There's a stage in your life where you carry things. You do things. This is what you do. This is part of the service in the body of Christ. The first job in the church for young men was burying dead people. That is Ananias and Sapphira. Their bodies were carried out by the young men and they were buried. That is the first job for young men in the church was burying dead people. All right. So this is so 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 if you think you have a hard job, just remember you could be carrying dead people. This is the job for young men. You carry things. And this is what John Mark does and it says it says that um uh in in Acts chapter 13 verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there to Cyprus. And then when they reached Salmis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and also John as, with also John as their helper. Uh, now Paul and his companion put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John was their helper, but he left them on the mission field. John couldn't take it. Now, it, it was rough on the mission field. Remember, Paul, was, Paul and Silas got beaten up. They got thrown in prison all the time. This is a hard thing. And though young men might be strong, a lot of times they don't have the fortitude of an older man. And, and, uh, uh, and he left them. He left them on the mission field. So that's what we see, that, that how he had left them while they were on the mission field. And then if we look in Acts chapter 15, in Acts chapter 15, it says that, that uh, um, verse 36, Acts chapter 15, verse 36, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And so Paul used to travel with Barnabas. Barnabas' relative was John Mark. He says, let's bring John Mark with us. And Paul says, no way. He deserted us on the mission field in the past. I'm not going with that guy. And Barnabas says, you know, it's good to forgive. That's the Christian thing to do. Or, you know, we don't know exactly what he said. And Paul's like, no way. I'm not bringing that guy with me. And such a sharp division arose among, between Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas is the, is the apostle, the, the disciple of encouragement. Such a sharp disagreement arose that they split. Barnabas takes John Mark. Paul chooses Silas. It's interesting that the scriptures follow Paul. They don't follow Barnabas. They continue to follow Paul. In any case, there was such a sharp disagreement between them. 
just because you find a sharp disagreement between two people does not mean that they've stopped seeking the Lord, does not mean that they have to become now ineffective in serving the Lord. They both went off and they were effective. Just because you see a disagreement in a church doesn't mean that you go, I'm I'm, I'm not going to this church. I'll, I'll go to a church where there's no disagreements. I guarantee you, you go to the next church, you'll see a disagreement. And then what are you going to do? Go to the next church? What are you going to do in your family? There are disagreements in families. There are sharp disagreements in families. Between men, between husband and wife, there's sharp disagreements. But that doesn't mean you end the marriage. You work these things out. And, and, and these things, you see sharp disagreements all the time. These people were still all together in the same body and serving. And so you see that, that, that John Mark, he started out well. He was involved in prayer meetings when he was young. He had a good heart. He went on the mission field. But it was too much for him, and he left. But now he's beginning to turn around. He has a desire to go on the mission field. Well, then we see redemption for him, because if we look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is writing. Paul is writing from prison, and he says, Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for my service. Paul now is recognizing later on in his life that this guy, Mark, John Mark, he's a good guy. Bring him, bring him in. Bring him in along with me. I, I, you know, and, and we see him again in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul is writing. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings. So here Paul is in prison. And also Barnabas' cousin, Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin. This was Barnabas' relative, his cousin Mark. That's John Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Paul is telling people, this guy is a good guy now. If he comes to you, welcome him. This is clearly John Mark. This is Barnabas' cousin. And then you see him again in, in uh, uh, Philemon. Philemon, uh, verse 23, chapter 1, verse 23. Philemon, 1, Apophorus, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you, as do Mark. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. Mark is at his side. Here is a young man who started out good. He ended up failing. And he was redeemed. He, he, and, and so this is something in our lives that we need to remember. There are times in our lives when we fail. There are times in our lives when we start out good and then we think, how could I have done what I did? How could I have blown it so bad? And you'll think that you need to totally throw in the towel. It's all done for you. No way. There is always redemption in Christ. Here is a young man. He came from a good home. He started out good, but he just couldn't take it anymore, and he left. But he worked his way back into it, even to the point where not just Barnabas recognized his utility. Paul did. He said, bring Mark. He's useful for my service. We need this guy. So there are things in life that happen. That, that might, we might say that this is the end. And I'm telling you, there are always failures in life. You want to walk with Christ. I am sure Silas, uh, uh, Silvanus, had failures in his life, but they weren't noted in the scriptures. There are times when we go through failure. At one point, I mean, Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, uh, 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 um, Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's saying that to Peter. On another occasion, he's saying to Peter, get behind me, Satan. I mean, imagine Jesus saying to you, get behind me, Satan. You'd be like, 
I mean, who could ever recover from that? The amazing thing about Peter is he's like, you know, you could slap the guy around and he recovers. I mean, that's the resilience that, 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 that the scriptures speak of with Peter. I mean, he really recovered from this. He recovered from his failure. Peter was the guy who said, who said uh, uh, look, Lord, all others might deny you, but n- not me. I mean, I'm ready to go with you to the death. You know, you know we're good. It's me and you. Me and you to the end. And Jesus is like, look, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter denied him three times that very night. And it's interesting to whom Peter denied Jesus. It wasn't some soldier with a knife to Peter's throat. It was to a little slave girl. To a little slave girl. You know how humiliating this is to a man? A little slave girl says, didn't I see you with Jesus? That guy that's on trial up there, didn't I see you with him? And Peter denies the Lord to a little slave girl. I mean, the humiliation of this. And he was was just so overcome with this, Jesus sends the message. He says, go tell the disciples and Peter that I've risen from the dead. Jesus says, go tell the disciples and Peter, because Peter was probably feeling pretty bad about denying the Lord three times on Jesus' night of suffering. And he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. He's probably feeling pretty bad about it. Just go tell the disciples and Peter. This guy could recover. You will see this trend. Here is this man, David, David in the Bible, who started out so well, walking with God in so many ways, he had his failures going along. He had lots of failures. You know, he goes over to, to the Philistines at one point, and, and, and uh, at another point, he, he's, he's on the roof of his home. Now, I, I've seen where his home was built. It was built very close to, to where the, 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 the temple is, right, right there in Benjamin. And, uh, because the temple is right on that border between Benjamin and, and, uh, and Judea. And his, and, and Peter set up his home right there in Benjamin. And, and, uh, uh, it's up on this hill and his, 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 he would be able to look down on all these other roofs and he sees Bathsheba bathing. He says, go get that lady. First he says, who is that lady? And they said, oh, that's Bathsheba. That's Bathsheba, the wife of of one of your soldiers who's out fighting your battle right now. That's his wife. And when he named that name, he's saying, that's also the daughter of one of your other mighty men that's out fighting. When he named by name who her husband was. David knew. Yet he goes, he seeks her. He sleeps with her which is very much a raping of her in the sense that he brought her to his house. What's this young woman going to do when she is brought to the house of the king and the king starts, make, starts making a move on her? And, and uh, uh, she ends up pregnant. Rather than confessing his sin at that point for committing adultery with one of his top soldiers' wives, While he's out fighting David's battle, he goes and he has that soldier killed. Who could recover from that when Nathan the prophet comes and says, you are the one? But David could recover. David could recover even from that. There are massive failures which come into people's lives, even as believers. 
And I'm saying this because I want you to remember, there are going to be times of failure in your life where you think that, you know, I just need to throw in the towel, I could never go on. And there is redemption. There is always redemption in Christ. And just to wrap up this chapter, Peter writes, he says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greeting. So Peter is in Babylon. Why would Peter be in Babylon? Some people think that that's a code name for Rome. No, it's actually very natural for Peter to have gone to Babylon. Babylon was the center of Jewish scholarship at the time outside the land. It was the center outside the land of Jewish scholarship. At this time in history, the Babylonian Talmud was being written. The Babylonian Talmud is still read today by all Orthodox Jews. Read that every day to this day. And and, uh, that would be perfect for the the apostle to the circumcision, the apostle to the Jews, that would be the perfect place for him to go. So he's in Babylon, and he says, she who is in Babylon chosen together with you. This this could mean the church that's in Babylon. Many people think that this is actually his Peter's wife. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you, that his wife was also chosen because we know Peter had a wife because in Matthew chapter 8, verse 14, it says Peter Jesus went to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law was sick on the bed. Well, how do you have a mother-in-law? You've got to have a wife to have a mother-in-law. And then, and then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5, Paul says, you know, we, we could even travel with our wives if we wanted to. Now, Paul didn't have a wife, but he's saying some of the, some of the apostles travel with their wives, like Peter, like Cephas, traveling with his wife. So we know that Peter had a wife, and this, this may be the person that he's referring to there. And then in verse 14, he says, Greet one another with a kiss of love. This is the, the what you often still see to this day in that part of the world where it's a kiss on the cheek. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Peace be to you all who are in, in Christ. The, the, uh, um, the, 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 the closing, the shalom, which is the greeting and the, and, and the departure, the peace that is given to, to uh, Jews to this day. And remember, he's writing to Messianic Jews. So this is the pattern we see in Scripture. The beautiful pattern we see in the Gospel is this, that Jesus died for our sins that he is the one who pays this price for our sins. He is the one that makes this thing up in, in, in the sense that he is the one who covers for us. He says that he takes the death that we deserve to have, he carries on our behalf. This is what Jesus does on our behalf. That It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love for us. It's a demonstration of love. It is the most beautiful picture where God comes. He wants to relate to humanity. He says, the death that you deserve to die, I will die on your behalf. It is a beautiful picture of love. This is the picture. It is a picture of redemption. The gospel is a pure picture of redemption. And I'll tell you, in our lives, when we go from unbeliever to believer, we need to be redeemed. And then when we walk as believers, we need redemption because there's so many failures in our lives. But just remember, the way you go on is you recover. Imagine John Mark being rejected by Paul the Apostle. He'd be like, I'm totally useless to the church. But John Mark went back at it, and he became useful in ministry such that Paul multiple times cites him as being useful to his ministry. There is recovery in Christ. So when you fail, I want you to remember that in Christ there is always recovery because the message of the gospel is pure redemption. 
It is redemption in Christ, where he pays the price on our behalf. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank and I praise you for your mercy and for your grace. There is always redemption in Christ. Blessed be your name, O Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Always redemption in Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Thank you, Lord, for giving your life for us. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord, for this picture. Father, I pray that we would always walk in recovery, walk in the redemption that's provided in the gospel. Father, I pray for the unbelievers who are hearing this message. Lord, save their souls, I pray. Save their souls. Draw them. Draw them to the Lord Jesus. Father, for those that know you, Lord, I pray for those who are struggling, who feel like they've blown it in life, they've done something that has made them totally inadequate. Father, I pray that you lift them, that they see that in Christ, in Christ they can rise up again, that there is always redemption. And Father, I pray for the young people here today, that when they fail in their lives, and they do things that, that they thought they would never do. Father, I pray that they would remember this message, that there is always redemption in Christ, that they can finish well. Glory be to your name. Amen.